Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, wa salatu wa salamu ala ashrafil anbiya wal mursaleen, wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in, amma ba'd, fa'a'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajim, bismillahir rahmanir rahim, wal-lazina hum lifurujihim hafidhun, illa ala azwajihim awma malakat aymanuhum, fa'innahum ghayru malumin, فمن ابتغى وراء ذلك فأولئك هم العادون صدق الله العلي العظيم. My dear respected, most honourable elders, beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. First of all, we begin by thanking Allah سبحانه وتعالى by glorifying and praising Allah سبحانه وتعالى for enabling us with this unique opportunity to congregate in His house to worship Him. To glorify him, to send salutations upon his messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallama. And we pray that Allah Azza wa Jal will continue to facilitate such opportunities for us in the future, inshaAllah ta'ala. Uh, last week, for those of you who remember and for those of you who are here, we uh, spoke about uh, addiction and we spoke about drug addiction and uh, the drug trade uh, and, and the damage that it does to, to lives. And not only the lives of those individuals who take the drugs, but the those affected by it, and it's a, they have, it has a far-reaching consequence on uh, families, on spouses, on children, uh, and we spoke about the dangers of it uh, in society and the Islamic perspective with regards to it. Today we're going to talk about another vice, and this vice is equally destructive uh, one that not only the Muslim community but society in general is experiencing is uh, definitely uh, crumbling as a result of it and partly due to uh, a holiday that is coming up recently in, in, in due course uh, we experience those kind of feelings and those emotions attached to it. The Prophet ﷺ, he upheld the sanctity of marriage. The Prophet ﷺ spoke about in great detail with regards to uh, sex outside of marriage, premarital sex. The Prophet ﷺ told us in great detail with regards to uh, zina, fornication, adultery, the damage that they cause on people, the damage that they have on society in general. The Prophet ﷺ also forewarned us. The Prophet ﷺ warned the Muslim Ummah, that a time will come when there will be many children who are born out of wedlock. Many children are going to be born out of wedlock. And when that time comes, the Prophet ﷺ forewarned us that know that the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to be severe. Know that the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is coming. The punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is on its way. The reason why I mentioned a specific holiday where 
sort of love and romance is in a way romanticized even more is one that's coming up, the 14th of, of February, called, titled uh, Valentine's Day. And there's, a lot, there's much mystery and folklore with regards to where this ho- ho- holiday originated from or how it came about. But the general story, according to my research, is that it's born of a pagan holiday that was called Lupercalia. And this, the feast of Lupercalia. And this, this particular fe- feast is where Roman men, they would sacrifice a goat or in some places a dog. And then with the hides of the animal, they would whip the women who were readily available to be whipped. And the women would want to be whipped because they believed that by being whipped on that particular day, with those hides of those animals, they will become fertile as a result. Uh, of course, this is a pagan ritual, had absolutely no basis in religion at the time. They would then, as the evening progresses, they would draw lots. Just, uh, it'd be like uh, taking names out of a hat or, 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 or a jar. So they would draw lots, uh, and each man would draw lots. And who, whichever women, whichever woman that he he drew, that was the woman that he was going to be spending that evening with, in an intimate manner. After the Roman Empire embraced Christianity, it was later named after a Catholic saint. They wanted to uh, uh, sort of make it a religious affair draw away the immorality, take away the immorality, take away the illicit uh, things that go on during that holiday. And it was named after the the, the Catholic saint, Saint Valentine. And again, folklore suggests that in the third century, in the common era after the death of, of Jesus, the Roman emperor, his name was Claudius II, he banned young healthy men from marriage. And in defense of the union of marriage, St. Valentine allegedly protested by secretly holding marriage ceremonies. And he was later martyred on February the 14th. And that's why uh, this holiday came about as we have it in the modern day. The celebration itself had absolutely no religious, uh, so no romantic connotations to it. Because St. Valentine was doing something which in our religion and in our tradition we regard to be what? Halal. He was marrying people off during a time in an era and in a place where people weren't allowed to get married. So it had no romantic connotations up until Chaucer romanticized it in the 14th century in his poems. And then Shakespeare in his sonnets and his stories, he romanticized it even further. And in the 19th century, I think it was in in the 1840s, that's when the first, it became commercialized, the way we have it today. And commercialized in the sense that the first cards, Valentine's Day cards, were made, they were sold and they were distributed in the new world, in the modern world. Today, the holiday has absolutely no religious significance, no religious affiliation, but it's common to both 
religious people and atheists, everybody, all the people around the world know of what this holiday is and what it entails. Commonly, nowadays, it's a day when people distribute flowers, chocolates to people who they desire, to people who they want to be with, uh, to people who they want to get together with. Commercially, after doing some research, I found out that every year, and the numbers are ever increasing, statistics show that approximately 20 billion dollars is spent uh, on this particular day, on the 14th of February. 20 billion dollars. It's just, commercially, it's, it's crazy. You know, and, and just take an example, walk down to, to Tesco's, the local Tesco's, you can have the, 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 the petrol station, for example, and as you walk in, there's always the, the aisle where they have, um, you know, the, 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 the deals of, of the week and uh, where they have their offers. And during this particular, during Christmas, you'll have the sort of Christmassy gifts and the Christmassy offers. And when it comes close to Valentine's Day, there's plenty of chocolates there and flowers and particular gifts with a Valentine's Day theme. So you see how commercial this event has become. Uh, and the negative impacts of this are, are severe and they're far-reaching. Because it's not just about giving of gifts. It's not just about exchanging of gifts. Because if it was about exchanging gifts, the Prophet ﷺ told us 14 centuries ago. The Prophet ﷺ said, exchange gifts for they increase your mahabba, they increase your love for one another. The Prophet ﷺ told us that. But it's far-reaching, it's far worse than that. Because what it promotes is an unhealthy lifestyle. And I mean unhealthy, not only, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally unhealthy lifestyle. Because what it promotes is, uh, first of all, sex outside of marriage, premarital sex. It promotes a lifestyle where, which has caused or resulted in, and again, these are statistics, that 11,000 babies, 11,000 children every year are born out of wedlock. 11,000 children. And, no, sorry, 11,000 children are born every year out of wedlock, but are conceived on Valentine's Day. Conceived on Valentine's Day, but born, and born out of wedlock. This is, these are the far-reaching consequences. And I remember I was in, in, uh, studying in Egypt, uh, probably going back in the early day, when I was there in about 2008, 2009. And I remember, I vividly remember this holiday being celebrated in Egypt by certain circles, by certain people. And commercially, again, just like, it is, just like it's commercially celebrated here, and you have all the offers of all those gifts and the chocolates and the flowers, you had that in Egypt also. So it sends out a negative image of what society is supposed to be. And that's reached the Muslim world and it's reached the Muslim Ummah and it's something that we have to deal with. It's something that we have to understand, especially when it comes to our children. We're living in an increasingly uh, sexualized environment, in, a, in an increasingly sexualized world. And it's important that we identify those issues that are affecting our children and it's important that we find ten tenables, tenable solutions 
for them. Like I said, statistics show that marriage is becoming far less common. More and more children are being born out of wedlock, which results in broken families, a deeply negative impact it has upon society. Uh, statistics also show that people, young, children, well, I'd say young adults, are having sex at a younger age than they used to before. So the age is becoming younger, which means that uh, the desires are being born in them younger. And they're getting involved. For us, the easiest way to interpret it is that children, young adults, are being pushed into haram at a much younger age than they would previously. Dating, relationships, living together is on the rise. People want to know their partner by living together with them, by spending plenty of time with them, by staying in a relationship with them for many years before they decide if marriage is for them. And what they don't understand is that not only does this uh, not uphold the sanctity of marriage, it's destructive for both partners if you live like that. Because there's absolutely no sense of responsibility there. Because if a child is born in that environment or in that relationship outside of marriage, then the same legal rights and obligations that a man and a woman would have over that child, they have to forego those rights and responsibilities. They're different if they were on their own. You know, the, the husband doesn't have to provide as he would if he was married to that individual. So there are so many different consequences that it has. With the statistics showing that younger people are now getting into relationships and younger people are ha- or people are having sex at a younger age, teenage pregnancies are on the rise. Every year it's increasing. More and more young people are getting pregnant. Again, which is destroying the sanctity of marriage. If you look at it as a whole, zina, fornication has become incredibly cheap. In fact, it's free. It's free for people. Whereas getting married has become incredibly expensive. So they look for the cheaper options to satisfy their desires. And don't think for one moment, you know, when now that we have, you know, when we look in our own communities, and when we think that, oh well, and we see someone who's, who's engaged in that type of behavior, someone who's, who's gone down that wrong path, and we look down upon that person, we frown upon that person. Uh, we deem it to be un-Islamic and uh, irreligious. It's important for you to understand that those feelings and those desires that people experience are natural. The Prophet ﷺ told us, the Prophet ﷺ told the youth, directed this conversation at the youth of the Quraysh. And he said to the youth of the Muslimin, the old youth, those of you who can get married, make sure you get married. And those of you who are unable to get married, then fast. And fast is what for you? A wija, it's a protection for you. It's a barrier between you and immorality. Because the Prophet ﷺ understood that people have urges. And those urges can potentially take them 
into haram and make them do something which is impermissible. So the Prophet wasallam understood that. And the Prophet wasallam was sinless. The Prophet wasallam was ma'asum. The Prophet wasallam didn't commit sin. But we, kullu ibn adma khatta, the rest of us are all sinners. None of us are perfect. So when you see someone who's, who's involved or engaged in that type of activity, don't look down upon them. Try to inform them of the religion. Try to explain this to them. Why Islam? You know, I, I, I was listening to a, a, an American scholar, uh, and this particular American scholar, he stated that uh, he, he knew of somebody, he knew of this young man who used to attend the masjid. Uh, and for a few years he hadn't seen him and later somebody, someone informed him that this young man had uh, apostatized and he had become a Christian uh, and then he found out his story he saw a blog online written by that ex or ex-Muslim and he realized that the reason as to why the reason as to why he left Islam was there was no love in Islam that, that was what the, the blog was titled, There is No Love in Islam. And he said that, that that's what inspired me towards Christianity, that it's about love, and it's about mercy, and it's about compassion, whereas Islam doesn't have that. And again, I, uh, I don't understand what type of Islam, or what version of Islam that particular individual, that ex-Muslim was exposed to. But our Islam is founded on love and mercy and compassion you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is merciful his, his merciful characteristic or his, his merciful attributes are the most recognized attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam his merciful nature is his overwhelming nature the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all encompassing and Overwhelming. Yet, unfortunately, this individual was not exposed to it. What he meant when this particular individual was saying, what he meant by there is no love in Islam, is that Islam doesn't allow for relationships outside of marriage. And this is something that he wasn't inspired by. This is why he left and went to Christianity, which is weird because Christianity doesn't allow love or relationships outside marriage also the sanctity of marriage is something that is common in the uh, Abrahamic face and this is something that we're having to deal with and we're having to explain to our children today I've met young people who think that Islam is somehow strict and Islam doesn't allow for romance of any kind Islam doesn't allow for Love or showing love and affection of any kind, whereas that's completely untrue. If you look at the life of the Prophet wasallam, the Prophet wasallam was was loving and affectionate towards everybody. The Prophet wasallam was merciful towards everybody. If you look at the Prophet wasallam's relationship with his wife, where you see the romant the romantic side of the Prophet wasallam, there there are so many examples that I can give you. There are multitudes of sayings of the Prophet ﷺ, often reported by his wives, which tell of his affection and of his mercy that the Prophet ﷺ was, would exhibit towards them. And it's something that 
we should learn from, and I'm sure most husbands here know anyway, right? You will know of the affectionate nature of the Prophet wasallam and the romantic side of the Prophet wasallam. One day, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she states that the Prophet wasallam he was sitting in a room with her. And, and Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha states that uh, he was fixing his shoes at the time. And the Prophet wasallam was like that. He would repair his own clothes and he was fixing his shoes at the time. And it was very warm and beads of, of sweat were trickling down the forehead of the Prophet And Sayyidah Aisha, she, she saw this sight and you can imagine that it, it was a wondrous sight. Um, and she was overwhelmed by the, the majesty of that sight and she began staring at the Prophet unable to remove her gaze from his blessed forehead. And the Prophet looked at her and noticed that she was staring intently at him. And he asked her, he said, what's the matter, O Aisha? And she replied that if Buk, uh, Abu Bukair, Abu Bukair was a famous poet, if he had seen you, O Messenger of Allah وسلم, he would know that his poem was written for you. He had a great poem on, on love and there was a particular couplet in there which she states that if he had seen you, then he would say that this particular couplet in his poem is written for you. And the Prophet وسلم, asked her, said, what is that? What is that couplet? What is that poem? What did he say? And she replied, Abu Bukair said that if you looked to the majesty of the moon, it twinkles and lights up the world for everybody to see. Now, if Abu Bukair had seen you, he would say that you were like that moon which lights up the world for everybody to see. And the Prophet وسلم, he, he got up and he walked towards Ummul Mu'mineen Sayyidah Aisha and he kissed her on her forehead. And the Prophet وسلم, said to her, Wallahi ya Aisha, you are like that to me and more. That's what you mean to me. The Prophet وسلم, this is just one example from a multitude of examples of how affectionate the Prophet وسلم, was. And this notion that people have of Islam not being loving or Islam not showing any compassion or affectionate, whether that affection and compassion be towards your parents, whether that be directed towards your children, whether that be directed towards your spouse, it's completely unfounded. Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik states that the Prophet وسلم, he loved children. The Prophet وسلم, would often uh, play with the children, he would kiss the children. The Prophet ﷺ would exhort others to do the same. And when he saw people who weren't affectionate and loving and merciful towards their children, the Prophet ﷺ would warn them by saying, Man la yarham la yurham. He who does not show mercy will not be shown any mercy by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Towards his parents, towards those who he regarded as his mothers, the likes of Umm Ayman radiallahu ta'ala anha, Sayyidah Halima radiallahu ta'ala anha, the wet nurse and the foster mother of the Prophet sallallahu The amount of respect and honor and dignity that he had for them. That teaches us how to behave and be affectionate and kind and caring and compassionate towards our parents and our elders. The fact that the Prophet sallallahu would 
talk to the youth about their problems. And the Prophet ﷺ was sensitive to their feelings and their emotions. And one example from, from with regards to the topic that we're talking about today is about a young man. And there's a story of this young man and he comes into the masjid and he finds the Prophet ﷺ. And he said to the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, and imagine if someone did this today. Someone walked up into the masjid and came to the local imam. And he said, O oh, Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, give me permission to commit zina. He said, give me permission, I want to go and commit zina. Understanding, knowing that it's haram, right? Because he's seeking permission for it. Because if it was halal, he would have done it without seeking permission. So he comes to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, says, Ya Rasulullah, give me permission to commit zina. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and the, first, before the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam could respond, the companions began to rebuke him. The, the companions were quite severe with him. How dare you say something like that? This is a question that you ask the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam stopped them and he said to him, come closer. And as he came closer, closer the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam asked him a question. He said, would you like it if it was for your mother? I would you like if somebody wanted to commit zina with your own mother? And he said, no. The Prophet ﷺ said, people would not like this for their own mothers. And the Prophet ﷺ then further proceeded to ask him, would you like it if it was for your daughter? Someone wanted to commit zina for your daughter. And again, he answered neg neg negatively. He said, no, O Messenger of Allah, of course not. The Prophet ﷺ stated that people too would not like it for their daughters. Then the Prophet wasallam asked him, would you like it for your sister? Would you like it if someone wanted to have zina with your sister? Commit zina with your sister? And again he responded negatively and the Prophet wasallam said, yes, rightly so. People would not like this for their sisters or their aunts. The Prophet wasallam continued to go on. The Prophet wasallam then placed his hand on the young man's chest. The Prophet ﷺ placed his hand on his chest and he said, Oh Allah, forgive his sins, purify his heart and protect his chastity, protect his morality. And uh, a companion of the Prophet ﷺ, Sayyidina Abu Umama states that as soon as the Prophet ﷺ placed his hand on that individual's chest, all of the uh, feelings and the emotions that he was experiencing were gone. gone. And that individual, he remained chaste throughout his life. He did not pay heed to... Uh, temptation thereafter. This is just an example, and this this example it shows us the sensitive and understanding approach of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He did not rebuke that man. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam did not tell him and explain to him what he's doing is wrong and you shouldn't have these feelings and you shouldn't have no. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam actually understood his feelings. The Prophet ﷺ made him aware that he understands the, what he's feeling, the desires that he's having. But he was warning him about carrying out the actions that he wanted to carry out. Saying that, listen, there are repercussions. These actions are wrong. You have to remain moral. You wouldn't like it if somebody wanted to have zina with somebody who you were close to, your mother, your sister, your daughter. 
So you can't have zina with somebody else. You can't commit adult, uh, fornicate with someone else. The Prophet ﷺ made him understand. Through intellect, the Prophet ﷺ made him understand through wisdom. And this is unfortunately something that we've lost today. Nowadays, we, we live in an increasingly sexualized environment and a sexualized world where uh, everywhere young people turn, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're bombarded with this, with this mentality. Um, this, the lustful gaze has become quite common and it's something that you, you and I, all of us, we need to find tenable solutions for and we need to teach our children. Children are being taught at the age of five and six now when they go to nursery of, 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 of having sex education, which is, which is completely insane. And it's something that Muslim parents have neglected for a long time. It's unfortunate. And I can tell you, having taught children, that most children who grow up to become young adults, their parents have absolutely no understanding of what the children are going through. And the teen problems, that, the teenage problems that they experience. The, the, the parents don't help them. The parents don't find those solutions for them. And inevitably they go searching elsewhere for those solutions. And that's what's going to happen. And it's something that each and every individual with children has to understand. And has to ensure that you have that dialogue with your children. You communicate with your children. You have that trusting relationship between you and them where you can talk about these issues. Where you can talk about them. You know, I, I still to this day, you know, I, I remember a brother, uh, a brother who was now not very young, and I'll leave you with this. This brother was into his 30s, and he did not know the fara'id of, of, of wusul. He did not know that after having sexual intercourse, a man must make ghusl and it's necessary that he has to do ghusl he, he thought that a ghusl is just a shower and that's it wash yourself and, and that's it he did not know that there are certain obligations that one must perform like taking the water into your mouth and gargling that water taking the water into the soft part of your nose and then washing every hair on your body every hair on your body must be wet which means that all of your entire body must be wet with water he didn't know that and he spent his entire life not knowing. And he, and he was quite upset when he had this conversation with me. He said that, why didn't my parents tell me this? And I said to him, I'll, t I'll tell you why. Because when you were younger, your parents thought, your parents sent you to the masjid, thinking that, well, I'm uncomfortable talking about these issues with him. But Imam Sahib in the masjid, he'll clarify those issues. Imam Sahib in the mosque, he will teach it. And when you came to the masjid, Imam Saab at the masjid thought he was a bit uncomfortable talking about those issues and he thought, well, the parents must have already told them at home or spoke to them about these issues at home. And the only person who loses out is a child, right? Grows up not knowing. And it's something that you need to understand. You need to have those conversations with your children because those conversations are being had, you know? Don't let your children find out and have their sex education when they, when they reach... Uh, their teens and they're studying biology in school you know talk to them about their biology at home right in a sensitive manner with a, a genuine 
genuinely sensitive and understanding approach. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give me and you the tawfiq and the ability to act upon the teachings of the Quran, the Blessed Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa akhirul da'wana. Alhamdulillah.